Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. You know, it's amazing how despite all of the conflict and disease and disaster in the world, during the holidays, the news just kind of chills the fuck out. Nothing much happens. I mean, it's really cool of everyone and and, and everything to just kind of take a week off so that those people who happen to celebrate Christmas can get some quality family time. Or maybe, and, and just hear me out for a minute, Maybe there are just as many things happening during the holidays as any other time. You know, maybe even more. But what you hear on the news during the holidays, heartwarming tales about families and food drives and stories about the spirit of giving and, and lists, list after list, lists of the year's top newsmakers and, and reruns of some of your favorite stories that defined the year that was, all of that crap, maybe it was all pre-produced and pre-packaged and in the can before the holidays so that everybody could just leave and go home for Christmas. So yeah, of course that's what happens. But here's the thing. Reality sometimes has other plans. Sometimes news events stubbornly happen when you least want them to. 
And for that reason, not everybody in the newsroom gets Christmas off. Not me. I took the week off. Yeah, I'm not at work right now. But today's episode, a Canada Land holiday classic episode, is for all of the poor, lonely schmucks in the newsrooms of the world who worked Christmas and who remain on duty right now. This one's for you. May you not get caught for going through the stuff on your boss's desk. From Canada Land, here is our annual tradition, Christmas in the Newsroom. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Michael Emberley, Yeon Jai Jang, Renata Simkis, Javier Schwarensky, Ryan Miller, Chad Chabot, Jason Dye, and Colin. I'm Colin, a fire prevention officer from Toronto. I enthusiastically support Canada Land because they add important detail, nuance, and context to many stories the legacy media only pays lip service to. And because I've been exposed to the work of excellent journalists I may have otherwise been unaware of, Archie Mann's work in particular on Commons is consistently fantastic. That's cute. You think the news stops for arbitrary days on the calendar? What do you publish? Restaurant menus? At Nonsense Muncher. This Christmas will be my first one off in eight years. Par for the course in this business. At Nancy Chen, ABC7 News Anchor, Washington, D.C. So it was back in the year 2004. I was a young radio reporter in my mid-20s, and I got my big break. I got to finally anchor the television news. And unfortunately, one of the biggest natural disasters in the world struck Boxing Day 2004. And that was, of course, the massive earthquake that hit off of the island of Sumatra. It was more than nine on uh, the magnitude scale. It was actually such a powerful earthquake. Scientists discovered afterwards that the earth literally shook on its axis. That was how powerful it was. But because it was an upthrust earthquake underneath the ocean, it caused a devastating tsunami. Tonight, disaster in Asia. First, an earthquake of immense power shook the Indian Ocean. Then a parade of deadly tsunamis slammed into one country after another. The shocking result? All told, more than 200,000 people died. And so here we are, we're supposedly in this festive mood, Uh, we're in a mostly empty news building, forget newsroom, nearly the entire building is empty. And usually you're doing fun things like NORAD track Santa, you know, how to help the food bank, what's open, what's closed, and your bus schedules. And then all of a sudden, I'm thrown into a live TV news shift first thing in the morning, you're doing hits every half hour, and you're recording yourself for radio and I have to become a tsunami earthquakes expert immediately. And I'm getting through the news shift, and I think I'm doing quite well in soberly delivering this terrible news. Little to my knowledge, the news director had gotten complaint calls that morning saying, why do you have this new girl in? Why doesn't she smile more? She looks way too serious. 
And so for me, number one, I'm a journalist, I'm a reporter. And so I wanted to make sure I had all my facts right. I would, you know, live correct that as I'm going, I'm making sure I'm keeping up on all the stats. I'm talking about all the relief, of course, that was flooding in from around the world to try to help these poor people. And bless their hearts, we had some viewers calling in to say, I like the other girl because she laughs and smiles more on my morning breakfast television. Ah, news. Um, I've always loved being live on the air, but this was the first time I was live on TV, and you're thrown right off the dock, and so you have to do a decent job of reporting it, because otherwise you'll wind up on blooper reels for the rest of your life. So I was just hyper aware of all these different elements, that awareness that people are really looking at how you look. So you have to be hyper aware of it. I don't care if you're delivering the you know, best newscast ever in your life. If your lapel is misbuttoned or your hair is sticking straight up or your lipstick is smeared, they'll literally hear nothing you say. This goes for men and women. (laughs) So I am Chris Sims. At the time, I was a radio news anchor and producer, and I was pinch hitting for morning breakfast television on Chum. I wrote Christmas Day for the Cincinnati Inquirer in 2006, the day James Brown died. Brown got a start at Cincinnati's King Records, so I tracked down some backup singers and others who knew him from that time. Turned around a half-decent obit, if I do say so. Gregory Court, USA Today. I'm on call for January 1st. First sober New Year's since, well, maybe ever? Taylor McPherson, executive producer of John Gormley Live on CKOM and CJME. A decade or so ago, I was a columnist for Le Journal de Montréal, which is a daily newspaper in Montreal. And at the time, my editor had this fantasy that he would have a city columnist that would also be a taxi driver. And his fantasy was that, you know, mostly I'd be writing about the people who got into my cab. So I did become a taxi driver. And nine rides out of ten, nothing happens in the car. And um, so this editor had this idea that on New Year's Eve, I think it was 2005, I should rent a cab and, you know, just give people rides because New Year's Eve in Montreal, of course, is a big night. And I did it. And it was indeed a very eventful night because, you know, people get in the cab. And as you can guess, they are mostly drunk. I would say nine rides out of 10, you get drunk people, but you get funny drunk people. And um, I I remember that when uh, the clock started ticking, I think I was caught in traffic on St. Laurent Boulevard. Happy New Year. (laughs) My name is Patrick Lagacé. I'm a columnist with La Presse in Montreal. I once covered a girl stuck in a well on Christmas Day. I was supposed to have just been making sure the breaks in between our Christmas programs were correct. At M. Tom Dem. Christmas is just another day at work on the copy desk. The one thing I remember is the managing editor coming in one night with something totally forgettable to eat. He acted like he was fucking Santa Claus, and I have no memory of touching his plate of smug shit. Jim Logan. At J.E. Logan. My first solo holiday shift on the desk of an international newswire, Saddam Hussein was executed. Another year, there was the shoe bomber. Solo holiday shifts make me nervous. And Walters Custer, freelance DC journalist. 
the story that I think you might be interested in occurred when I was in grad school in London, England in the early 1970s. And while I was writing my thesis, I took on a part-time job as the overnight person in the bureau of CBS News London. And this was at a time when there was a lot of international news. Uh, the war in Vietnam was still on. And I was the one and only person in the bureau overnight to transmit content from Vietnam to New York and the other foreign bureaus in the CBS system. So um, I usually managed to grab an hour's sleep on the couch of the chief correspondent, Charles Collingwood. You know, I left the phones would ring and I would answer them, but I could gradually fall asleep for a little bit. And I was sleeping on Charles's couch when all of a sudden the windows blew in and I was covered in glass. And what had happened was the CBS Bureau was on the old Brompton Road right across the street from Harrods department store. And the IRA decided that they were going to bomb it. The Irish Republican Army. They ran a terror campaign in London in the early 70s, killing quite a few people and blowing up quite a few buildings. So they did bomb Harrods and blew out all the windows on both sides of the street. So I brushed myself off. I wasn't bleeding or anything. It was I was completely unharmed, but a little shaken. But I called the bureau chief right away and woke him up. And the first thing he said was, what have you been smoking, Dvorkin? I said, no, <laughs> no, no. A bomb just went off. And then he told me who to call and bring people in and get cameras going and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I'll be there in half an hour. Can you gather some sound for me? And I had never done that before. I wasn't sure what he meant. And I said, how do I, how do, I do that? <laughs> and he said, take the Nagra, which was an old, well, it was a very, it was new in those days, but it, it was a, about a 35 pound Swiss reel to reel tape recorder that was absolutely indestructible. Hook it up, go outside, turn it on and get some audio. And so the police and the fire had turned off their sirens. So I couldn't get that. So I thought, here's what I'll do. I will turn on the the Nagra and point it at the ground. And then I will walk over the broken glass to get that sound. And that was what made the CBS Morning News. A massive terrorist bomb went off in the city of London today as police were trying to clear the area. Jeffrey Dvorkin, I'm now the director of the journalism program at the University of Toronto. At that time, I was overnight editor, CBS News London. I've worked as a traffic reporter for a decade now. Although I never understand it, I always seem to work Christmas morning. Who is driving Christmas morning, you ask? No one! It's much harder to do a slow news traffic report. Trust me. Meredith Sensulo, traffic anchor and news reporter for WFLA. The Mohammed Mahmoud street battle ended after six days in Cairo on the afternoon of Thanksgiving 2011, and I went home, made a pot of stewed okra, and went to Thanksgiving dinner at a journalist friend's house, where everyone was basically traumatized and smelled like tear gas. Liam Stack, New York Times. 
So usually there's hardly anybody in the newsroom except for the person who's listening to the scanner, making sure that there's no breaking news where you have to go out and cover it. So um, I'd be sitting in the newsroom. It's like Christmas Eve and it's uh, nine o'clock at night and I don't get off shift until like 11, 1130-ish. And uh, so I'm all alone <laughs> and sitting by the scanner, um, reading my Twitter feeds and whatnot. And my uh, wife came and we sat around the scanner for Christmas dinner. Like it was a roasting fire and listened to calls. So like all the sad domestic dispute calls and the DUIs and then... Um, family uh, getting uh, ambulance called because every person in the family had severe food poisoning because they ate a bad turkey. So, yeah, so that's, uh, um, so yeah, it's just uh, with me and my wife who, <laughs> no, I, I turned her into a Grinch. I just wrecked it for her in the newsroom. I'm uh, Jeff Cummings, and uh, I used to be the Night City editor at the uh, Edmonton Sun. My name's Andre Pru. I was producing talk radio at one of Toronto's largest radio stations for the holidays. There was nobody in the radio station except for myself and our fill-in anchor reporter. And it must have been about the middle of the day where we get an angry, like, J. Jonah Jameson-style, like, get me pictures of Spider-Man phone call into the newsroom from the program director of the radio station, Mike, just being extremely insistent that we get on top of this huge breaking story that Donald Trump had been edited out of the CBC broadcast of Home Alone 2. Hosts on morning show Fox and Friends had their own theories. I think they're terrified of these little things that will remind people of just how like you deranged so his opponents. It's also censorship. Trump had just boasted about the 1992 cameo in a Christmas Eve video conference call to U.S. troops abroad. The big Christmas hit, one of the biggest, so it's an honor to be involved. And we need to reach out for comment immediately so that we can have that and, and take ownership of that story. I just remember when the phone call ended, me and the, me and the reporter anchor just looked at each other and were just like, did, did that really happen? We were just like, he took time away from his family to call in and, and make sure that we were doing this and and i know that the day continued with like follow-up emails in her inbox throughout the rest of the day just making sure that we were on this massive story with so many people listening to the radio on december 26th yeah the, the calls went out to the cbc and there's a tweet here from chuck thompson that says as many are asking cbc's airing of home alone 2 was edited for time this happens regularly with films adapted for television the scene with Donald Trump was one of several that were cut from the movie as none of them were integral to the plot. These edits were done in 2014. Excuse me, where's the lobby? Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. 
The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Worked Christmas morning once as a reporter for Global News Toronto, sent with cameraman to cover breaking story about a man holding a woman over a balcony in Brampton. Same day, drove by Sam the Record Man, store was dark, but could see Sam Snyderman prepping for Boxing Day sales. Simon Dingley, I cover news for CBC TV. I brought bourbon balls to work once, and our anchor got schnockered. That was an interesting newscast. At Schnobblegossel. New Year's Eve last day of 1999, the first day of 2000. So I was asked to produce a series of one-minute broadcasts for CBS News. As each time zone around the world began the year 2000, and we were going to have our chief anchor, Dan Rather, in Times Square doing a little broadcast about the various celebrations around the world. And the one looming concern over all of this, as you may remember, was something called Y2K. The danger lies in the so-called millennium bug, which threatens to reduce our computer-based society to chaos. Unless something is done about it, and soon, it could ruin... And most hospitals have extra staff. The ESB will have their experts in place from early tomorrow. Yes, midnight, December 31st, 1999. Electronic clocks in millions of computers will roll over to the year 2000. Or will they? Most experts agree they will not. Computer systems essential to our way of life may simply shut down. The dire warnings in this emergency video... There was a lot of hullabaloo around that, so... We took pains to try to make sure we were ready to cover it. And I took the extra precaution of getting a manual typewriter with large print, like the way it would have been done 30 years earlier, to create teleprompter copy when you didn't have a computer system. Well, of course, I never had to use it, but I did have that on the side, and I, I came to work dressed in a tuxedo and proceeded to produce these broadcasts. 
And by the time midnight approached in New York, it was very clear there was going to be none of that. And this was, what, a mile from Times Square with the dropping of the ball. The ball drops. The confetti flies and it's Happy New Year and welcome to the new The cheer went out and the main thing was the broadcast worked and kept going. But in the end, the real headline of the day had nothing to do with Y2K. It had nothing to do with the year 2000. It was Vladimir Putin being named as president of the Russian Federation, which we had no idea who he was. He was ex-KGB officer. I think we knew that at that time. But none of us had any idea that his uh, presence would still be with us 18 years later. Gordon Rothman. I was a special projects producer for CBS News in New York at the time. Literally every journalist has worked the holidays. The entire Congressional Press Corps celebrated New Year's Eve 2012 slash New Year's Day 2013, covering the fiscal cliff in the Senate Press Gallery. Sung Min Kim, White House reporter for The Washington Post. Was the solo reporter in news department on my first Christmas in biz. And five minutes before my shift ends on New Year's Eve, Y2K, woman takes hostage at a bank, and I am sent to scene for five and a half hour standoff. As my wife waits for pickup for New Year's Eve party, not a good phone call. Michael Mahoney, political reporter for KMBC-TV. My name is Sarah, and I, for a long time, was a temporary producer and reporter at WMYC Radio in New York City. And one particular Christmas was incredibly memorable for me because I was scheduled to work both the day shift, producing All Things Considered, on the 24th and on the 25th. But I was also on call as a reporter on the evening of the 24th. And at about 9 p.m., I got a call from my editor saying, okay, it's on. Um, You have to go to northern Manhattan, go to this hospital. There is a woman who is waiting for a double lung transplant. And it turns out that the the lungs are going to be sent over there. So if you could get up there as soon as possible. And I was going to be scrubbing in for the whole six to eight hour long surgery. And I was super excited because, I don't know, I'd never seen anything like that before. And, and getting to watch it happen and getting to record it was a really exciting idea for me. So I went up there and... The woman was there with her husband and her toddler, this little girl who was like running around the room and it was Christmas Eve. So they were singing carols and whatever. And, you know, we hung out. We just sort of like got to know each other. I turned on my recorder and around midnight, I remember thinking like, what is going on? So I pulled over a nurse and asked her, is the surgery going to happen? And she said, well, with organ donations, when we have something that's like a double lung transplant, what we do is... We also have backup people ready just in case only one of the lungs is viable. And so there's there's actually another family downstairs in a different room waiting as well. And right now we're just waiting to find out if both of the lungs are viable or if it's only one. And uh, so I was super surprised to learn that. I had no idea that there would be another family in the same hospital waiting downstairs with the same hopes and the same expectations that, you know, these organs are making their way across the country and they're prepping for surgery just like we were. And so that was sort of like, oh, okay, so someone for sure is is going to be disappointed, which was kind of hard to learn because it was Christmas Eve and we're there and we're all getting ready. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll still wait. So we 
just stuck in there. There was nothing really to do just to wait. And then um, a couple hours went by and one of the hospital officials came in to start sort of reading us through all of the fine print, I guess is what you would say. And she was telling us, you know, there's a possibility that even if we do get both lungs, that it might not work out. And um, it is a really intensive surgery. And that was when it sort of sunk in that um, this wasn't just going to be like something where I get to go and watch a surgery and just record the experience and and see what's happening. It's going to all turn out fine. There there was also a a real possibility that a real person was going to lose their life and a real family was going to lose their mom. And it was suddenly very like, oh, I don't know that I want to be here. And right after that, the woman's sister and the sister's husband showed up. And I realized at that point that they weren't just saying Merry Christmas. They were also sort of hugging tearfully and you know, potentially saying goodbye to this family member in case things didn't go so well. And at that point, we were we were done singing Christmas carols. We were just sort of hanging out, uh, tense and waiting, trying to figure out what was going on. The toddler was exhausted, but like she couldn't go to sleep because there were so many people in the room and so many doctors and nurses coming and going and prepping. And me, like not knowing anyone on Christmas Eve, just sitting in a corner with my recorder, feeling like I was an intruder. And then probably around three or four o'clock in the morning, the doctor came in to tell us that only one of the lungs had been viable. And so the family downstairs was currently in surgery, and that woman was going to go home with a new lung. And uh, they apologized, and they said, I'm so sorry. You know, there was such a buildup. And at the end, it was just so depressing and sad for this family to think, like, what if she doesn't get the lungs that she needs. And, you know, everybody just sort of sat down and started crying. And I, I left, I turned off my recorder, I said goodbye. And I got on the subway and went home before my next shift that day. And I was like, it was really, really tough. It was really tough to go home after such an exciting night that started on such a high note. And then, I don't know, I mean, at least to think there was another family in there that did get their Christmas miracle, and they were super excited. And, you know, the organs didn't go to waste, but for that room, it was really tough. So I've stayed friends with her on Facebook, and a little while later, this has been about two years ago, she did get her double lung transplant, and she is doing well. She, you know, has still her little cute little family with her toddler who's growing up, and I don't think is a toddler anymore. But yeah, so it is a happy story in the end because she did get her double lung transplant. My name is Sarah Barrett. I used to be a temp reporter and producer at WMYC in the newsroom in New York City. All right, that's your Canada Land. If you like this show, please support us. If you want to give the gift of Canada Land to somebody else, go to canadaland.com slash gift. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode was originally produced by Ali Graham. Additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our theme music is by so-called syndication. is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like the show, please support us by going to canadaland.com slash join or go to canadaland.com slash gift to give Canadaland premium to somebody else.
You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.